Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Today, we're talking about feats and cosmology in D&D Next. I'm your host and Roundtable creator, James Intercasso. With me today at the Roundtable are Greg Blair, Vegas Lancaster, Alex Basso, and his brother, Rudy Basso. Guys, why don't you introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about your gaming backgrounds. Greg, we'll start with you. Alright, well, I've uh, been in D&D since second ed back in high school. Little stint over into Alternity, but no one cared about that, so went back to D&D for college, where I actually started playing with my buddy James here, and just continuing on up to fourth, next, GURPS, really, I'll play anything. Vegas, why don't you tell us a little bit about your gaming background? Uh, I've played D&D most of my life, I guess. Uh, Also played lots of video games and uh, dived into some other tabletop games. Also a nerd comedian performing at nerd conventions along the East Coast with Plus Two Comedy. Nice. And they are very funny. You should check them out. Alex Basso, brother of Rudy Basso, tell us a little bit about your gaming expertise. Uh, Tabletop-wise, I've only really started uh, when 4th Ed came out. I've pretty much only played D&D. Some occasional one-shots of other games, but pretty much just D&D. And before that, I've been playing tons and tons of D&D-related board games. Or computer games, but first tabletop experience was with 4th Edition. Nice. And Rudy, why don't you tell us where you're coming from, man? Uh, yeah, like Alex, my background is mostly video games, probably. My first introduction to D&D was Baldur's Gate. Um, I also played most of the D&D-related video games and jumped into a game with you, James, when we started playing 4th Ed in college. Uh, as far as gaming background, I've done a little bit of games writing for QuarterTo3.com, which was voted Times one of Times' 50 best websites of the year 2012. So uh, if you want to read old articles by me, Go, uh, go Google that. That's, I've also done a little bit of side non-D&D role-playing. I've played a little Mutants and Masterminds and Star Wars RPG, Saga Edition. Uh, both of those yeah. games are sweet. And I think it bears mentioning that I DM all of these guys in a weekly game. Vegas is in a different game than the other three, but all have played the D&D Next playtest. And we've been gaming together for... Four years now, most of us? Five years? More than that, I think. I think five now, yeah. Five now. Yeah, wow. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, and I've been playing D&D since the second edition days when I was a boy of about nine. I've played each edition since, as well as a bunch of other tabletop RPGs. Um, but let's get right into it. There's a new edition coming out, as we all know, and it was officially announced... Uh, by Wizards, that the new edition will be coming out summer 2014. What do you think this means for the playtest? Right now, they have said that the rules are complete. Do we think that means there is something that has gone to the printer? Are we going to see the traditional player's handbook, dungeon master's guide, monster's manual, or are we going to see something completely different? Also, what digital products would you like to see at launch? Greg, let's start with you. Oh, man. I will. I hope that they go the route of the PDFs. That's one thing that I think a lot of the other systems have done incredibly well, especially Pathfinder. 
I mean, when you get one of their PDFs, it's not just it's not just dead pages. There's links between all the different sections. If you see something about, I don't know, a feat, you can click and go right to that feat's definition. So I hope they do something cool like that. If they didn't do the kind of archetypical three um, player's handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and Monster Manual, I'd be kind of surprised. And the traditionalist in me would be a little disappointed, but I'm open to new things. Um, I don't think they would have gone to press yet. I kind of hope not, because I, I think they're probably tweaking the numbers a little now to get the math right, and hopefully fixing Druid and <clears throat> Paladin. So. Uh, yes, hopefully that has already been done if something has gone to print. If they are going to do three books, which I would guess so much of D&D Next is about what is D&D to you, it would seem weird for them to change up the product yeah. launches. I wonder if they're going to release them one at a time. So first the player's handbook comes out, and then a month later the DMG, and then a month later the Monster's Manual. I think that would make some people crazy, because it would be hard to play anything at first. But I do think that some people would like that. I mean, the playtest packet has a ton of rules. If you add some art into every page, you probably have a player's handbook. Is that how they released 4th Ed? Uh, not releasing everything at the same time? I, I forget. No, 4th Ed released everything at once, and they released the Keep on the Shadowfell adventure, I think, two weeks to a month beforehand, with a version of, like, pre-made characters and quick-start rules for people who wanted to get on board early. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be crazy not to launch everything you need to play at the same time. Uh, yeah. I don't think they'd do that. Yeah, exactly. But I see that Rudy has a response here. Rudy. I uh, know. I, I was going to agree with Greg that PDF is really the name of the game these days. I mean, you can find anything on RPG Drive Through, And if Wizards doesn't have something new and innovative in far as, as PDFs go, you know, they're going to be looking badly. As Greg already mentioned, Pathfinder does a great job. And people expect Wizards to be at the forefront of RPG. So I definitely expect some, hopefully, unique system of PDF releases that they're going to do at an affordable price. I imagine they'll still do like a limited hardcover release for the purists, but I think most people will be getting their D&D Next rules through PDFs. I think whether Wizards wants to or not, there will be PDFs of these books. And I think people would rather pay for them than steal them, for the most part. And dndclassics.com, which is through Drive-Thru RPG, has been doing really well. And they've been releasing things. They just announced they're going to release some stuff exclusively through that. So I think that's sort of their venture into, will PDFs work for us? Alex Basso, what are your thoughts and opinions? Uh, I mean, I definitely hope for some solid pdfs to be released but also you know I, I look forward to hopefully picking up a player's handbook i still like having the book with me being able to to run through everything and just it's an interesting read but pdfs are definitely the way to go uh, when it comes to digital products i really hope they have an updated um character builder uh that's definitely my most used tool currently for fourth edition i love being able to store all my characters you know on the internet if I forget my character sheet, just go to someone's house, use their printer, print it out. It's really useful. So if they can hopefully update that for next, I'd be so happy. I uh, I, I don't know how um, 
Maybe you guys feel differently. I don't know how good I feel about paying for PDFs. Uh, I think I would feel better about paying for a, uh, a, a service like D&D Insider or something like that, where I just have access to everything on my tablet or, or my laptop. Um, I would feel kind of stupid buying individual PDFs because they're so darn easy to steal. Uh, and I feel okay about buying books. Um, I mean, I think I would buy the three core books regardless of whether I have them in a digital form or not because of nerd collector instinct. You mean like an app? Like a D&D Next app? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what like, I want. That sounds really cool, actually. Yeah, I'd love to see the compendium and character builder for this edition at launch. And it would be great if there was some kind of app. I'm just going to throw this out there. Prediction. No electronic tools at launch. And when they do launch, they're going to be terrible. I don't think they've learned their lesson. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't think they've learned their lesson at all. Did the online stuff ever get better? Because I stayed with it for a while. And they just... It was just so bad. Character yeah, builder is really I like, good. I like the character builder that you could download initially for fourth ed. That was awesome. Yeah, I, I think prefer that. I like it right now. I mean, they have like the abilities in there. They usually update okay. it. I think the one thing Wizards has learned is to not overpromise. We don't yeah. see them promising <laughs> any digital tools for this edition, and I think that's smart. If they're there. Yep. We'll probably hear about them once they're completely complete, is my guess. You don't need a character builder like the way you do for 4th edition, I feel like, for this edition. Yeah, 4th ed was, uh, that was a bit much. I I'm curious whether Wizards um, is a company that trusts whether they can make money off of digital tools. Because I, I think their prime cash cow is selling Magic the Gathering cards which, you know, is a physical thing. And uh, it looks like over the course of 4th Ed, they kept trying to find different ways to turn D&D &D into a physical thing. They had power cards, which they tried to make into a thing. They had the D&D the miniatures, which they tried to... I don't know if any of those really panned out for them, but I wonder if they'll try a similar thing for next. Yeah, I think the answer is to try to get everybody into some sort of monthly service like D&D Insider. So provide the tools that people want. And then I do think PDFs and eBooks are a great option because they cost less to put out. They cost the consumer less to buy. And, you know, frankly, I don't want to lug 30 books to the table but I would love to have 30 books that I can look up real quick on an iPad or something and make the game run more smoothly. You know, I think that would be really great. And who knows what other sort of crazy touchscreen tables and stuff are going to come out uh, that will be affordable eventually for the consumer and you could, you know, do some crazy stuff with it. Speaking of complicated and fourth edition, I think we should probably segue into feats. Last time on the show, we had a, sort of a discussion about feats, but I want to get more into that. And Alex, why don't you start and tell us what it is you love about the new edition's feats and what it is you hate about them. Uh, current feat selection is current. It's really very small at the moment. I think there's maybe like 20 feats, if that. Um... I'd say my favorite thing, 
could just going through the list, there's maybe about four or five feats uh, that I really like. They kind of seem to be like an alternate. Instead of, they really try to improve your character in kind of a unique way. Uh, one example would be the feat Lucky, which is you get three luck points, which at any time throughout the day you can use uh, to replace a d20 you rolled with a new spent a new d20. Uh, um, and that's really unique. Like, you haven't seen that as a feat before. And it's a really powerful effect. Um, but otherwise, there's a bunch of feats, like two-handed mastery, for example, that just seem like a bunch of um, older 4th edition feats just thrown together. It's just, they package three of those two-level, uh, those feats together to make one stronger feat. And they're just boring. They're not that interesting. Um, I want to see more of the, the kind of these unique alternate feats like Lucky that feel much more powerful, much more different, For if they're going to keep feats to being chosen once every four levels. Alex, if you had to make a more customizable thing for feats, and but they still need to be in lieu of an ability score, so people who wanted to play without feats could do that, would you rather just have it be, you pick three smaller feats and then you can customize more rather than you pick one big feat in lieu of the ability score increase yeah, i mean i like the the feats like lucky if they had more of those but yeah i'd rather just smaller you know they're just packaging together feats that seem like they would make sense like oh heavy weapon mastery you want you want power strike so they're putting those together assuming that's what someone would like you know i i like it when it's broken down i like having more options to create a character and be able to pick and choose which parts i like so I don't want them packaging the stuff together for me, right? Gotcha. Yeah, you want to be able to break things down a little more customizable, that kind of thing. Greg, what do you think? I know you're sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum here. See, I'm with Alex in that I really love stuff like Lucky. I don't I don't especially think it's overpowered um, because, you know, if you think about it, you could have plus one to every attack and damage roll instead of that, right? If you took the... Uh, um, took the ability score increase instead. So I think, I'm sure one who's got time for statistics could probably do that of me trying to figure it off the cuff. But the plus one might be statistically better, right? But I actually really like the concept of the thematic feats. I just feel like a lot of them are redundant. So I mean, all the weapons feats that have to do with weapons, um, heavy weapon, fencing master, uh, stuff like that, no, you get proficiency with what's appropriate. Yeah, generally you probably already have proficiency with the yes. weapons that you're going to be using with that. You know, <laughs> you're not going to have a wizard taking great weapon master. It's so it's part of the you know you're rolling up three feats or or whatever, but you're really only getting two out of it because you probably already have that ability. I'd like to see more unique kind of packages. I, I like the big packages. I don't. I actually didn't like like all the 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 little nits. I want something big, you know. I want I want an actual rule breaker, right? That to me is the interesting thing when you have abilities that that break the rules in some way. And I think these big ones can do it. I just think they need to figure out a better way without kind of making some of the aspects redundant. Well, I wonder if they're trying to move a little way from the four e exception based kind of rule set where everybody does this except if you're a dwarf you do this and if you're a sorcerer you do this you know that kind of thing i would like to see a bigger list of feats and i think we will this is just the playtest list but vegas what do you think 
In particular, uh, how do you feel about the Arcane Archer? <laughs> we were talking about this before the uh, show started. I think we can all agree that Arcane Archer is the coolest feat. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, concept. You guys, Arcane Archer lets you uh, imbue an arrow with a spell and then fire that spell uh, with your bow. Uh, I, I guess that's if you're a, a multi-class wizard <laughs> archer. <laughs> uh, but that's, it's, it's really silly. I don't know whether it's useful or not, but I, I like that it's uh, something that makes your character unique and changes the way that you're playing your character rather than just giving you a uh, a little numerical bonus. Um, what I hate about feats in 4th edition, and I'll tell you because I'm playing a 4th ed campaign uh, DM by James right now, and we're at epic level, and every time I level up I get a feat, and there there's 200 feats I can choose from, and none of them do a damn thing, because uh, I took all the ones that add plus one to my damage already. <laughs> what the hell are they there for? Um, so what I like, you know, there's like 20 feats here, and almost all of them are there for a reason. Uh, I, 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 uh, most of them are there for a reason anyway. Um, and if you're it looks like you only have to pick a couple of beats, which is going to make your character sheet a lot simpler. Uh, it's a, a not as many stupid little things to remember about your character during gameplay, which is great. For 4th edition, I think there were a lot of things where pretty much everybody was going to take implement focus or weapon focus. Everybody was going to take specialties and things and get those plus one bonuses very few people were going to take the half vampire route and be able to turn into <laughs> mist and that kind of thing uh basso brothers i think you want to have a response rudy what you got we were just talking about how unique feats are awesome and you guys are poo-pooing the unique feats you know this the proficiency stuff the master stuff I feel like a lot of that can be folded into classes. Like, oh, when you're a warrior and you hit level 10, you get, I don't know, um, you can choose polearm mastery where you you get uh, an opportunity attack when you're at range or some sort of other one of these masteries. I don't feel like these are very special at all. And I think turning into a vampire is crazy cool. I remember taking a magic missile feat that allowed me to change it to a different type of um, element. So in our party, we had people who did extra cold damage, or they, they made enemies vulnerable to cold damage. So I made my magic missile cold. So I did extra damage. Just like those kind of teamwork things aren't in here anymore. And that's disappointing to me. Well, and I, I agree with you 100%. I would love it if more, especially from a DM story perspective... I would love it if more people took the half-vampire thing. That's why I want to see feats that are good so people take them but are still unique. I think that finding that balance is certainly difficult because you don't just want the plus one bonus. They're not going to be doing that anymore, but you also want feats 
that are going to be relevant and people will want to take in place of those ability scores. And I think that's a hard road to walk, for sure. I think next doesn't really, like in 4th Ed, min-maxing, you know, you get your item plus 1, plus 2, plus 3. Next isn't like that, so I would expect there to be more of these unique feats, but there's Lucky and Warrior Tactics or something, and there's just a couple truly unique, interesting ones to me. Uh, just, I think you're also, you know, taking some of these feats, you're, Vegas said you're not going to have to remember as much. I mean, if you take maybe heavy weapon mastery, two-weapon fighting, all these ones that have these small little bonuses, you're still going to have a ton you're going to have to remember about your character. You know, even though you only have three feats written on your character sheet, each of those feats will have a tree with three different, you know, small minor bonuses to your character. So I don't think it's really going to make it that much easier to to know everything about your bonuses and stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. I think D&D, as you get in higher level, it's always hard to work within that bloat of, I have all of these things, but I do think the feats are a little less specific. Sometimes in 4th edition, a feat would be like, after you hit with an at-will spell, the next turn you do plus two damage with ice spells, only if, you know, like, those sort of very specific circumstances and i feel like those are a little harder to remember than i'm wearing heavy armor and somebody's doing bludgeoning damage to me so i get to reduce the amount of damage that's being done it is still specific circumstances for sure but i think it is less so and it should be if it's going to replace an ability score it should be a more general thing that's going to come up more often because your ability scores are going to come up all the time i feel like that's probably also uh you know, a lot of those feats didn't really, you know, start with 4th edition, so there's still always a chance that further down the line, with next, we're going to get more of those hard-to-remember feats that are just confusing. Because, I mean, I think one of the biggest problems with 4th edition feats was the fact that, like, it, Vegas said, you know, there were a couple hundred. They grew so fast. And, you know, at a certain point in Character Builder, like, every week, a new article on Monsters uh, was coming out, you know, adding a whole bunch of new feats, and there's just... A little overwhelming. So if they do, you know, if the list they have now only twenty, I hope if they if they want more, they add them gradually, um, and they don't just you know rocket up the number. I think what you're going to see actually, uh, or what they're saying is you're going to see more settings and adventure specific stuff released. So there might be a set of defiler specific feats for Dark Sun, or there might be a set of specific feats uh, that go along with artificers in Eberron, that kind of thing. Well, I do want to respond to something Rudy said, and that's that you can roll a lot of these feats into uh, the classes themselves. And with some of them, I feel like they're not part of the classes um, because they're trying to give people more diversity in what their role is as that class like tactical warrior um it lets you mark creatures that are next to you so they're penalized if they try to attack other people and it lets you it grants opportunity attacks that stop a creature from moving that's all the stuff that a fighter in fourth ed already did uh and i think the idea is you take that feat if you want to be that kind of defending fighter so it seems like in some way they're trying to let feats be a, a, a tool to 
uh, adjust your class to the kind of role within that class that you want to be playing? Uh, well, then they should do class-specific feats and racial feats. That's something that I liked in 4th Ed that isn't in uh, this version. Because I don't see a wizard taking armor proficiency ever. I don't know why that option is there. But tactical is not just for fighters or rangers or paladins or whoever. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to just be this dichotomy between, well, you're a fighter or a wizard. You know, we've got all these other roles, so, or all these other classes, I should say. So it allows these, these you know, any combat that class could, could be that kind of tactical warrior, that defender with the marks and stuff. Or any combat class could be a tank. Yeah, maybe the wizard's not going to get it, but it does allow it to broaden out a little. Um, so I think, I think actually that's really good, and I'm not with you on that, Rudy. Maybe, I think there should be prerequisites for some of these then. Uh, but then you get rid of some of what makes it so, so special. Of a wizard tactical warrior? I mean, hey. if you want to. I do think the spell feats are pretty cool. Um, I don't know about taking three feet choices of spells to get up to third level spells of your certain magic type, but I like, you know, like we, we're running a, a party without a, a cleric. Having someone who could just occasionally cast a heal, you know, it gives you a, a little bit of that hybrid class feel uh, without having to build an actual hybrid. Um, so you could do a little multi-class-ish stuff with feet choices. That can fit flavor-wise really well to someone dabbles in a little magic when they're... And it, and it lets you choose which, uh, which ability score you want to use your magic casting as. So you're not, you know, you don't have to have wisdom to be able to cast one, one cleric spell or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm actually not sure why Rudy doesn't like this. Because if we do more feats like this that kind of would be class feats, then we can just get rid of the paladin altogether. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that what you're going for, man? Just have a yeah. fighter with That's healer. always my end game. Get rid of paladin. <laughs> all I'm just going to defend you here, Rudy. I saw your point about the paladin last week, and I actually think it's a good one, which is why wizards do some work on the paladin. So Rudy Basso can say, this is a worthy class for this edition. There it is. Why don't we move on a little bit to cosmology in Dungeons & Dragons, uh, specifically in this upcoming edition of D&D Next. How do you guys like your D&D cosmology? Do you like the Great Wheel? Do you like the fourth-ed simplicity of the material plane with two reflections, uh, the Feywild, the Shadowfell, the Astral Sea above, and the Elemental Chaos below? Or do you like the many planes of the Great Wheel. Gregory, what are your thoughts uh, on cosmology in Dungeons and Dragons? I hated Fourth Ed's cosmology so oh. much. And this is probably partly because played in an awesome but short lived game set in uh, Sigil, the City of Doors, the center of the wheel. But I just really loved how you had all these crazy different places you could go. Um, especially in, in I mean, Sigil is one of the coolest things. I love the Planescape as a setting. Um, so, I mean, to have the place where all those things meet, uh, that, that was really big for me. I just felt like, oh, now you're in a slightly darker version of the Prime. Oh, now it's all woodsy and stuff. That really didn't do it for me. I like the plane of fire and, oh, where fire and this meet, you know, 
know, uh, um, the whole war, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, forgot off the top of my head, but the war between the devils and the demons. Ah, uh, the blood um, war. Blood war. The blood war, thank you. That That's so epic. And then they just got rid of it all. So I was really disappointed with that. When I read uh, Mike Merle's article about the cosmology, I actually let out a little squeal, like a little girl. So I'm just going to put that out there. It's a thing that happened. I'm not proud of it, but that's how I feel. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you that as a guy who's played D&D for a long time, I never understood the Great Wheel. I didn't <laughs> spend a ton of time studying it, but I am definitely more of a fan of the 4 simplicity because it was easy to tell people, okay, now you're in the Astral Sea. Here, look at, like, you looked at the Great Wheel and it didn't make any sense at all. And I didn't understand why you could travel faster in the Plane of Shadow, where as the shadow fell, boom, just a dark reflection. Everything's sad and gothy over here. Easy to explain to your players. <laughs> and I think you still had the abyss was part of the elemental chaos. The There was fiery parts of the elemental chaos, but it felt a little more fluid to me, and it mostly felt easier for your players to understand. Um, I feel like one of the things is not all of your players are going to put as much time into things as you are, and they're not going to care if you have, like, a ridiculously complicated cosmology unless those are the kinds of things that they like. And it's hard for me to get excited about a crazy, crazy cosmology, but I, I don't know. That's just how I feel. Rudy, what are you thinking? I'm going to go one simpler than you, James, and say I don't care about any of these other worlds. I want the material world. If you want fancy, crazy stuff, make your material world really, really big, and the demons can fight the devils in the northwest corner of it. And that's their spot. And, you know, you've got other weird things going on. You know, the, oh, this continent's all a jungle, like the Feywild, and things like that. I don't like the idea of jumping to another plane and then being all confused and not understanding the rules or whatever. I just, I don't, I don't really care about that. I just want to fight monsters. Oh, <laughs> wow, that is, that is strong. That is... Bold. Burn the paladin type language I'm we're here. That guy. <laughs> yep. Alex has got my back though, right? Alex? Uh, no. Yeah, Alex, do you have Rudy's back? No, no, I'm more of you, James. <laughs> Sorry. I mean I like I like the other planes. I like spending time in the Shadowfell. Um I don't want to get rid of them completely. So, you know, simpler, better for, for me. Um and, and I mean I do like the Great Wheel, too, you know? I don't really know much about it, but I like Planescape, and I like the main city. But, uh, keep it simple. It's not It's not something I know all that much about, uh, and I'm, I'd like to just keep it simple. Vegas? Man, we played to almost level 30 in two fourth ed games, and I still don't know what the Shadow Fell and the Thing Wild are. <laughs> They're, uh, uh, parallel. The material plane. One's really dark. One's spooky, and one's got elves in it. Uh, I, I, I don't like. I definitely don't like that. Uh, yeah. I do like there being weird um, magic places where uh, this is the plane of fire, and that's where fire comes from. Cool. Yeah. I don't want to go there. And <laughs> the plane of air, and that's where air comes. From. That doesn't really make sense. But okay, I dig it. 
<laughs> what if? What I'm saying was... is, I've never understood. <laughs> but in any edition, there. You know what? That's more than I expected. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I'll take what I can get here, man. I don't know. I just just the elemental. It always it always too simplistic to me. I don't know. I just I guess I just liked all of the different factions and everything. And but I guess. I guess I can see your point, James, about how that who someone could just not care about that. But in that case, it's really easy just to stick to the prime, isn't it? Yeah, you always have that option, and I do. I think you do have a good point. Is that the Great Wheel gives you a ton of places to play, and if you and your players want all of those places to play, why not provide those as options? I think it would be cool to have players no offense guys who love to delve into that stuff or maybe if you had an entire campaign that took place in one of the various planes i've always wanted to do a trapped in the far realm campaign i think i think you i think you just kind of hit on it for me one of the things that bothered me about 4e was that they made the shadow fell and the and the Feywild, they tied it into like race origins and stuff. So like you couldn't really ignore it if you didn't care about it, because it was tied into all of the source material. But I feel like the Great Wheel, if you don't care about that, it's not even there. You're just on the Prime. You got elves and dwarves and whatever else is there. Like I don't know. I think I think that's part of what bothered me about Forty's cosmology too. But at the end of the game, at the end of the day, just your DM puts in what everyone wants, so it kind of doesn't matter. I uh, I totally agree with you on that point. That the Shadowfell and Feywild were so tied into stuff that you couldn't ignore them, even though they were dumb. It was like, <laughs> ah, I'm an elf. That means I come from the Feywild. No, I don't. I come from the damn woods where elves live. <laughs> they live in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, while we're on this topic of cosmology and connections to the plane, something that I think is actually pretty cool came out of the conversation with James Wyatt, who is no longer writing about wandering monsters, it seems, but about a bunch of other really cool stuff. You guys should check it out. He wrote an article... Uh, that was called Worlds of D&D and talked about rather than having a default setting like the Nentir Vale of 4th edition or picking one of the other settings like it's long been theorized that Forgotten Realms would be the D&D next core sort of default setting that his default setting would connect all of the worlds in some way which we didn't really have in fourth edition but in third and below all of the worlds were connected in some way uh spelljammer was a place where all of the prime material planes of forgotten realms and of eberron and dark sun etc your homebrew world were sort of round planets <laughs> that people took essentially spaceships from one to the next. They also found other ways to do it. Planescape, obviously, we touched on Sigil already. There were ways to get from one plane to the next, where you, there were sort of wells between worlds and standing portals and that kind of thing. There have been other realms where 
you went to the plane of shadow or to the astral plane, and from there you were able to travel to any of the other material planes. So essentially, you could start a campaign in Forgotten Realms and end in Eberron. What do you guys think about that? Does that too crazy for you? Is that really awesome? In my mind, uh, that is awesome. It's the ultimate mashup. It's crazy. It's fun. You could have a Warforged who ends up in the Forgotten Realms. You have an explanation for how that could happen. What do you guys think? And I'll start with you, Rudy. You know, I this again falls back to what I was just saying, that that doesn't really interest me. I'm going to make a uh, nerdy comparison, and, and I'm going to refer to the Marvel Universe, where there are tons and tons <laughs> of different worlds, and they often cross over, and it's incredibly confusing to me, because I'm dumb. So, I don't really see myself wanting to do that in a campaign. I kind of want to stick to my world, and see what impacts I can have on my world. Not jump into Forgotten Realms and figure out stuff going on there. But I guess I don't want to play a campaign where I have to save the world and jump between universes or whatever. I just want to fight some monsters. Man, get your dark sun out of my Forgotten Realms. <laughs> away from my Eber... I, I love Eberron. I love Dark Sun. I love Forgotten Realms. I don't know anything about Dragonlance. Um... Uh, uh, but they're all cool little worlds. Um, I, I don't think they exist in the same... Uh, I, I don't want any connection between them. Like, the, the idea of, of being able to travel from Dark Sun to Forgotten Realms, well then, the, the desert-starving people of Dark Sun are going to be constantly raiding Forgotten Realms taking their food and magic items and crap. Uh, you know, you've got different worlds because they have different flavors and different interesting things about them. But as soon as you open up uh, the idea that they're all on the same plane and you can travel from one to another, uh, they, they kind of lose that uh, their own unique identities. Well, let me throw this out to you. And Alex Basso, this question is coming to you. So let's say you have an epic level character who has done everything there is to do in okay. Eberron. And you want to continue to play with that character. Wouldn't it be cool to take that guy over to Dark Sun and solve some of the world's problems there? No, I'm fine with that. I actually really like uh, the idea of traveling between planes, but only if it's something that's very, very, very limited. Uh, like, you know, Vegas just mentioned Dark Sun people raiding other other planes. Uh, it'd be great if it was like a heavily guarded secret or something very rare that people could accomplish. Um, I mean, I love, as soon as it was brought up, I, lo I love the idea of thinking of maybe being like, I don't know, interplane cops going between oh. between planes trying to stop some sort of super villain, villain uh, super bad monster who's trying to destroy all the worlds. I think it could be done really just having the option. I think there's a lot of cool stories you could tell. Um, I don't know if I'd want to be a hero at max level who'd go around solving every single problem. Uh, that's a little too much. There's a Marvel comic based completely around that, where a team of inter-universe cops jump from world to world and solve problems. Yeah, that's... So, there that, you go. That's good. It failed. 
Wow. I mean, oh. just, I like the option, you know? And, like, uh, James mentioned before, you know, on a limited scale, you could have, like, that one lone morph forged in Forgotten Realms that everybody's confused about. How about you, Greg? Uh, I'm sure that uh, you will come forth and break the tie here and speak for Alex and I. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, Great Wheel, right? So, the infinite primes, all the different connections between them. But also, I want to throw this out there. Um, I think I think the concept of Dark Sun raiding the Forgotten Realms is actually awesome. I think that would be ridiculously cool. But even if you don't want to go like completely gonzo like that, um, I can understand how that wouldn't be to some people's taste. But let's say you're exploring some wizard's tower or something, and you find a teleport what you think is a teleport circling and trying to figure out where it goes and you get shunted off into limbo or, you know, the elemental plane of earth or something like that. That's a heck of a, of a side adventure. Like, Oh man, where are we? What just happened? How do we get home? You know, there's like a lot of things you can do with that. Um, or maybe there's, there's a secret society of people who are trying to control things and working on behalf of some other planner lord or you know so maybe it's not like whole hog craziness like dark sun invading um forgotten realms but even like little things like that that could be cool or oh man how do we get how do we beat uh such and such evil villain back to this place we'll never get there in time oh well, let's take a little jump through the the ethereal plane or whatever you know i think i think that you Really cool. Um, I like how they're tying uh, tying the different settings together because, like I said, you can just ignore the million primes if you want. It's not a big deal. But I like that they're building that in because it kind of shows that they're wrong with Fury <clears throat> and they made a mistake and now they're going back to the wheel. So, you know. <laughs> Let me ask you all one final lightning round question before we wrap up, which is if they go forward with this combination of all the prime material planes, which I think they are going to because it is has been a part of D&D since the beginning. How would you like to see characters get from one world to the next if a DM should so choose to do so for a party? Would you like it to be the Spelljammer way, or would you like it to be more planescapey, or would you like it to be something else? And I'm going to start with you, Greg. Oh my god, if we could forget that spell jammer ever happened, that'd be great. Oh. If we could just kind of purge that from a collective D&D space. D&D in space doesn't, it doesn't need to exist. I love it! Sorry. Um, that's great, that's great. Forget it! Well, Rudy, why don't you go next? Oh. Do fly in space, but don't fly from universe to universe, and don't have creepy open door world. That's very interesting to me. Yeah, I gotcha, gotcha. Alex? Yeah, I, I like the idea of just portals. Maybe hidden, constantly open portals that people will find. Uh, not like magical spells. You know, maybe just in different parts of the world. I hear you, I hear you. And I Vegas? Mighty Max. Uh, I liked in, uh, <laughs> maybe it was second edition, when you go into the astral plane, your body is still on the prime material plane, 
but there's a silver cord shooting up into the sky, and if someone cuts the cord, your soul is separated from your body and you die. <laughs> so you want more stuff like that? <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're gonna go balls to the wall wacky, why not go wacky? <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to about do it for this roundtable podcast. Um, where can people find you, Rudy? Um, on Twitter, I'm at Rudy Basso. Two S's, B-A-S-S-O. Rudy, like the fine film starring Sean Aston. Excellent, excellent. And Vegas, where can folks find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Vegas Lancaster. V-E-G-A-S-L-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-R. And Greg and Alex, you guys still wish to remain anonymous? No Twitter. You can find me in the city of doors, James. <laughs> uh, and right. Rudy, you want to add one thing? Yeah, uh, you can check out my sketch comedy group, Cows Come Home, Ooh. at cowscomehomecomedy.com. Well, uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to Greg, Vegas, Alex, and Rudy. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable. <laughs> <laughs>